0: Happy birthday, everyone, too, who had one. Um, Firstly, I want to say I didn't pick that elder's photo, by the way. Like, everyone else got like a corporate shot, and I'm holding a puppy in front of my Kingswood, so um, sorry about that. Uh, (laughs) Uh, Right, um, so I've got the pleasure of introducing uh, our third sermon uh, in this series, Slow Down Peter. And I wondered, how have you gone at slowing down this week? How's your week been? Uh, I'm a school teacher, week 11. We're not used to week 11s at the moment. So it was a little hectic, a little bit hard for me to slow down. Uh, but I wonder how you went. Have you managed to uh, listen to Sandy's message last week and master the power of the pause? Have you managed to pause to, to breathe in Jesus? Have you managed to pause and meditate on some scripture? Have you managed to pause and be thankful for those things that happen in our lives? Did you manage to pause and and read a bit of uh, Mark, like Sandy challenged us to do? I don't know about you, but when I read Mark, I need a little pause afterwards because it's just like action the whole time. One chapter is like, that's enough for me for the day. Uh, So it's pretty cool chapters and um, really important that we do pause and just reflect on what we're reading. But we're going to have a look at little Peter. And I'm a primary school teacher and I managed to access... Um, some records, some very old records, and I managed to get a hold of one of Peter's school reports from when he was at school. And, if I can get out, you can see the paper's been preserved really well, thankfully. But, but you can sort of tell by that font that it's legit, okay? <laughs> and, and this is what his teacher wrote about him back in primary school. It says, Peter is an enthusiastic student who readily engages in all activities. He contributes a lot of positive energy to our class. All the teachers out there know what this person was meaning. Um, (laughs) He is a loyal friend who will readily go out of his way to help his classmates. Peter is a capable student, but struggles to concentrate. He prefers hands-on learning tasks and practical activities. Peter has a huge amount of potential, if only he could focus, and concentrate on the task at hand. I find myself, as his teacher, frequently saying, slow down Peter. And it appears from when we read the Gospels that this trend continued through much of Peter's life. So when we first meet Peter, he's fishing away. This is the thing that he loves to do. This is his job this is his family business this is his calling I'm assuming he likes fishing and he's there he's into it you know he's casting his nets into the sea having a great time fishing yeah I love fishing and then Jesus just walks along one day and says hey Peter follow me and Peter's like fish Yeah, all right I'll do that then and just goes instantly just drops his nets and goes and I do wonder whether his dad and the rest of the fishermen were sort of watching and going just slow down Peter just slow down And then towards the end of Jesus' life on earth, he's with his disciples on the Mount of Olives and Jesus has sort of set them up for this moment. He's told them all the things that are going to happen or might happen. He tells them all the things that need to happen in order for Jesus to fulfill his purpose. And uh, Peter's carrying a sword, as you do. And then they're confronted by the arresting party, come to take Jesus away. And Peter, he sees the people coming towards him and he has a little one of these brain sort of internal thoughts. So, hmm, crowd, danger, sword, solution. Picks up the sword and cuts off some poor servant's ear. And Jesus, of course, reaches forward, picks up the ear, heals the poor guy, and I can just imagine as he stepped back past Peter, he's just like, just slow down, Peter, just slow down. And not long before this actual story, Jesus had already told Peter, Peter, tonight, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter's response to that was incredulous. Like, I would never do that, Jesus. Like, it is just not going to happen. And then within hours of this happening, we see this play out. This Peter had followed Jesus for a few years at this point. He'd seen all these amazing things, these miracles that just would have blown his mind. He's dedicated his life to following Jesus. And then in only a few hours, he's thrown that away and denied his Lord and Saviour three times. And I can imagine as that rooster crowed, he would have hung his head and just said to himself, just slow down, Peter, just slow down. But my favourite Peter story uh, happens before all of this. The, uh, the disciples and Jesus have had a really big day. Uh, they've been teaching, or Jesus has been teaching. Uh, he's fed 5,000 people. The disciples have had to pick up 12 basketfuls of leftovers. They're all a little bit tired. Jesus needs a little bit of downtime. He needs to master the power of the pause. As Sandy said, he needs some time with him and God. And so he gathers his disciples, he throws them into a boat, and he literally says, off you go, guys, I need some space. And so the disciples, they row out into the middle of the lake. They've been rowing for around nine hours, from what I could find out. They're about five kilometers offshore in a storm. It's about three o'clock in the morning. So they've had a pretty big day. They're probably not at their best. And all of a sudden, they see a ghost, or what they think is a ghost, walking across the water and they start to freak out. They have not had the best day. And they don't realize it's Jesus, of course, but it is. And so they're screaming, yelling. I don't exactly know what you do when you see a ghost. But um, they've had a pretty tough day. They've seen some pretty crazy stuff, these guys. These are pretty tough guys. A lot of them are fishermen. They've grown up on the water. They're used to some pretty big storms. They've been around Jesus for however long that they've been there, and they've seen some pretty crazy stuff. So to freak them out, it must have been a fairly big, significant event. And they're, as I said, they've had a huge day, been rowing for nine hours, five k's offshore, middle of the night, in a storm, just seeing what they're pretty sure is a ghost, and what's Peter's response to this? He says, Mm, I'm going to get me some of that warding, walking on water action. That's the way I want to respond to this event. So Peter yells out to, to Jesus, hey, Jesus, if it's really you, can you please call out and I'll come? And Jesus says, yeah, come. And so Peter just jumps out of the boat. Now, there would have been, I imagine, a little internal dialogue for a little while there. His brain would have told Peter, hey, Peter, um, you've grown up around the water your whole life and you can't walk on water. And then his brain, other side of his brain, would have said, yeah, that's right. I do know this. Why am I here? And then he would have noticed the waves, and he would have noticed the wind, and he would have freaked out. And it says in the Bible, he started to sink. And he yelled out, Jesus, save me! And, of course, Jesus reaches in, rescues him, and they climb back into the boat together. And you know what they're all thinking, don't you? Slow. And with that, I'm going to invite Wayne up, and hopefully he'll teach us a little bit on how to slow down. Thanks, Phil.
1: I'm not going to have that much energy, I can tell you. I've slowed down already. (laughs) We've been reminded over the last weeks, and again by Phil this morning, of how Peter came to be firstly a disciple, then an apostle of Jesus. And uh, it says in Matthew 4, 18 to 20, And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Who are you following? Maybe it's an AFL team. I wish you well. I follow the Matildas, particularly as they build to World Cup later on in this month in Queensland. Or maybe it's a famous person you follow. Or maybe you're into social media, you know, you follow somebody's Twitter page. sounds a bit like a bird call, doesn't it? What did the doctor say to the young man who presented with a social media addiction? He said, I'm very sorry, young man, but your condition is not tweetable. There's a new site coming on, uh, apparently, called Threads. all about trousers and stuff. Um, I'm thinking of starting a social media site, for a network for chickens. Uh, not, not as a full-time job, just to make hens meat. <laughs> but there's a serious question behind all of this. Who are you following? This morning, I'd like to take you on a very practical journey all in the aid of helping you become a closer follower of Jesus and developing a deeper relationship with him, of getting to really know the the Jesus you are following. I want to pass on to you some very practical tools and in so doing bring you closer to Jesus. Even if uh, uh, you're just exploring this deal about Christianity uh, or church, I encourage you to try some of these things. It will, you will find that they are helpful for you. Let me remind you as shown by the call and life of Simon who is called Peter that Jesus asks us firstly to come and see and then he gives us a new name. He changed Simon's name to Peter and uh, then he asks us to come and follow him and then as we follow we get to know him. These are the invitations that Jesus extends to us and the progression that should be happening if we follow Jesus, as we follow Jesus. Many of the people we may be following, we can only know in a two-dimensional kind of way, either their voice on the radio or their lines on a printed page or maybe a social media entry. And for what we have recorded of Peter's time with Jesus, even though he was spending most of the hours of the day with him, we see that Peter often didn't get it. And when he did, he was in boots and all, impetuous and almost over the top. Peter's knowing of Jesus was perhaps more than a two-dimensional time um, kind of way, but but when he did... Sorry, I've... I've yep, that's still there. Um, and even though it was in a two-dimensional kind of way, it was probably well short of the depth of knowing that Paul the Apostle was able to write about in his letter to the Ephesian church. And I read to you from chapter 3, verses 18 to 19. Paul says, I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and heights and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This passage describes what I like to call a five dimensional kind of knowing. Count them with me breadth, length, height, depth, and the fifth dimension the love of Christ through the Holy Spirit's impact on their lives. All the fullness of God to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. The events of Pentecost, as recorded in Acts chapter 2, where the Holy Spirit was poured out on the believers present that day, empowered each of them, but especially Peter, to speak with boldness, illustrating from their scriptures the facts about Jesus of Nazareth. In part, what Peter said, was from reading from Acts 2, 22 to 24, Peter says, "'Fellow Israelites, listen to what I have to say. "'Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God "'with deeds of power, wonders and signs "'that God did through him among you, as you yourselves know, "'this man handed over to you according to the definite plan "'and foreknowledge of God, "'you crucified and killed by the hands of those outside of the law.'" But God raised him up having released him from the agony of death because it was impossible for him to be held in his power. After the Holy Spirit, the counsellor promised by Jesus, also called the Spirit of the Truth, after the Holy Spirit came upon that group of disciples and apostles that day, the reality of, but more importantly, the truth of who Jesus was became known to a new depth a new fullness became really and deeply personal and powerful. The speech of Peter that day in front of those people in Pentecost reveals that following the outpouring of God's Holy Spirit's power, Peter knew to a greater depth, breadths, lengths, heights and depths, the depths of who he was following. He'd moved from two-dimensional to five-dimensional. The Peter of the thrice denial and the cock-crowing episode that Phil taught us about was gone. And in less than two years of following in the footsteps of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, had deepened the things Peter knew, perhaps firstly at a two-dimensional kind of level, an observational kind of level, to a five-dimensional knowing, a deep personal relationship with the living, resurrected Christ. This kind of knowing is no less than what God desires for each of us. And this morning, my aim is to help you with some practical insights as you journey with Door of Hope and more importantly, with Jesus Christ, Son of God. My goal is to help you establish habits that will help you move from perhaps a two-dimensional kind of knowing about Jesus to a deeper knowledge of Jesus. This is really the whole idea behind our concept of 20 minutes in the chair. It's spending time in that search. And put simply, the idea of 20 minutes in the chair is about cultivating the habit of spending time each day in God's Word and in prayer. It's about finding a comfy chair and reading a passage from the Bible. And you can follow the Daily Hope readings on our website or you can uh, uh, follow another plan. And then spending some time in prayer and listening to and for God. This approach I'm going to unfold for you is ideal for enhancing your 20 minutes in the chair. I suggest if possible you make some notes of the key headings and I'll, later on today I'll put them, the headings on the Door of Hope Facebook page for you as well. This, what I'm going to tell you is, about, is a simple step-by-step progression that draws you aside to a place where you can quiet your spirit, opens you to listen for God's gentle guidance, compassionate correction, and whispers of love. 20 minutes in the chair. It's a big promise. But that's a promise that's boldly stated in Scripture. In Ephesians 3, we read that Paul writes, I pray that according to the riches of God's glory, he may grant you that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you're being rooted and grounded in love. That's a big promise certainly, but it's a promise that is the desire of God's heart, that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And it's the first step in the progression of going from two dimensional to five dimensional knowing is slowing slow down Peter this is where we start in the 1960s a japanese theologian by the name of Kosuki Koyama wrote a book that he entitled 3 mile an hour god he noticed that the average walking speed was approximately 3 mile an hour in the old money And uh, he said, God, uh, Jesus, who is God, also walked at approximately three mile an hour. So God, who is love, walks at three mile an hour. Love has a speed, Koyama says, and that speed is slow. That seems to suggest even humorously that we can go faster than God. So that might explain why sometimes we have trouble developing a deep relationship with God, because we're way ahead of him, left him behind. Now, of course, I don't think it's really possible to leave the author of time uh, behind, but the concept of building a slowing down into our lives will bear fruit. We may not be able to alter the general pace of life around us due to external factors, but we can develop the habit of having regular times where we deliberately slow down, even stop. It is the power of the pause. And you'll be surprised at how much these times will make a difference in your general well-being. So firstly, slow down. Secondly, establish times of silence and or solitude. Now I've got the simple means, I just click these off and it's lovely. Silence is the absence of sound, to shut out sound in order to focus more effectively. And solitude is being alone or remote from others and is often considered one of the traditional spiritual disciplines. Use solitude as a way to distance yourself from the distractions of the world to get to know the interior of your heart and get to know God's voice. It takes creativity to find silence in our world and parents of young families require even a greater measure of creativity. For Jesus, solitude was often a lonely place and one assumes silent as well. For instance, after feeding of the 5,000 that Phil mentioned, uh, it says in Matthew 14:23. and after he had dismissed the crowds, sent them on the boat, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. And in preparation for the even more important work of the cross, he sought the solitude of Gethsemane, a big garden just outside the city walls. And Matthew 26, 37, it says, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and agitated. Then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved, even to death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Jesus drew near to his Father often by seeking solitude and spent time talking with his Father, God. Our human relationships are enhanced and deepened in proportion to the time spent together when our hearts and minds are focused on each other. We get to know each other in a deeper, richer way the more time we spend together. And our relationship with God and our experience of his love is directly proportional to the time we spend with him. So find a way of being silent or experiencing silence and solitude on a regular basis. Be deliberate, plan for these times, schedule them, aim for 20 minutes in the chair as a suggested minimum. So the first two steps in this progression of the ha- are the habit of slowing and times of silence or solitude. And the third step in this progression as we do our 20 minutes in the chair to a deeper relationship with God and his son Jesus is to develop the habit of listening. I mean, really listening. There are two aspects to listening that I want to draw out for you this morning. The first aspect is listening for God and to God. I call it listen for his voice and then his advice. Until we take time to be quiet, we'll often not hear God. He generally cannot be heard in noise and in restlessness. He will speak to us if we give him a chance and if we listen for him. Remember the psalmist said, be still and know that I am God. Psalm 46 verse 10. So, listening for God and to God and the second aspect of listening is cultivating your listening to people skills. We've been looking at this in depth in a previous series, haven't we, as part of our strategic, three-year strategic plan. Knowing people, embracing authenticity and engaging our digital community. Listening to people, really listening to them is how we can get to know them in a deeper, more meaningful way. Listening to and for God as part of our lifestyle is how we can develop a deeper relationship with God the Father and Jesus his son and our relationship with him will be enhanced. So cultivate your listening skills uh, for, for God and to God and listening to people skills. And the final step in this progression is Uh, of getting to know God is meditation. Now, Christian meditation is the opposite of Eastern meditation. Richard Foster in his book, The Celebration of Discipline, describes the difference like this, and I quote, Eastern meditation is an attempt to empty the mind. Christian meditation is an attempt to fill the mind. Eastern forms of meditation stress the need to become detached from the world and losing personhood and individuality and merging with the cosmic mind. Now, before you get lost in that quote, I'm going to simplify Christian meditation for you and remind you firstly that in our Bibles, meditation um, was a natural part of a believer's relationship and worship of God. We see this especially in the Psalms. For instance, Psalm 119 uses the word meditate at least eight times as the importance and centrality of God's law for his life. Read verses 15 and 16. The psalm writer says, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. And I believe one of the best ways to meditate about Jesus and God is to meditate on scripture. God's Word. When we meditate on God's Word, we are thinking, meditating about God and his Son. If we want to be like Christ, we have to read the truth about Christ and then think about what we've read. Meditating is simply thinking about a passage of Scripture in order to discover how I might apply its truth to my own life, contemplating its meaning for me. So we focus our thinking... We spend time reflecting, going over it again, trying to obtain every bit of spiritual nourishment of food we can from the Word of God. I reckon most of us know how to worry, eh? And if you can worry, you can meditate. Same process, very different outcome. There are many reasons for meditating, but I'll share just one. It's a key to becoming like Christ. If you want to be like Christ, read and meditate about him and you will find that his attributes start to become reflected in your life. There are many approaches to meditating on the Bible and but uh, five that I find helpful and easy to remember as they all start with the letter P. So the first P is picture it as you... Visualise the scene that you're reading about in your mind. This works well on passages of scripture uh, that are narrative in style. For example, in John 4, the woman at the well. Imagine what it might have been like to be a Samaritan woman who had been married five times and was living with somebody else who she wasn't married to at this time and have a Jewish stranger come and tell you everything about yourself. Well, that would have stirred up things, wouldn't it? What would it have been like for that woman? What feelings would that bring out in her? Picture the scene in your mind, jot down some thoughts. And so you're picturing, you're meditating on scripture by picturing it. Second P is pronounce it. Pronounce it. Say the verse out loud, each time emphasising a different word. For instance, in Philippians 4.13, you might say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's what the verse says. And so under this method, you would say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Me, not somebody else, me. And then you would go, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That means that God's word is a promise. I can do all things. And then you can do and so on. You go through the, the scripture like that and it becomes alive for you. It becomes personal. The third P is to paraphrase it to paraphrase it. Rewrite the verse in your own words. If you're having difficulty understanding what a verse means or even if it is clear, if you can somehow try to put it in your own words, it may give you more clarity of meaning and it will uh, evoke in you all sorts of understandings that will help you. You can also also use various translations of the Bible to get a clearer understanding. For instance, that verse in Philippians 4.13, In the New Living Version, it says, I can do all things because Christ gives me the strength. Just subtle shades that help you understand as you meditate. And the fourth letter, P, is personalise it. Personalise it. Replace the pronouns or the names in what you're reading with your own name. Put your name in a promise. This is particularly helpful if you're feeling discouraged and you start thinking that God's word was maybe... And for everybody else but me. If you put your name in a verse, for instance, Psalm 23, if I read that, it would be, the Lord is Wayne's shepherd. Wayne will never want. And so on. you go through and suddenly Psalm 23 becomes your psalm. That's you. And you can do that with a lot of the different passages, but particularly the psalms and so on. It's personalised. And then the final P is... Pray it. How could I forget that? Pray it. If you're reading in the Psalms, for instance, in uh, uh, Psalm 13.1, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Maybe that day, that's how you're feeling. Pray that Psalm. It's not unspiritual to do that. That's partly why we have the Psalms. Pray them. And as you're sitting there in your chair meditating, You choose which method seems to fit best for you and you'll soon become adept at uh, knowing which ones and you can even use two or three for some passages. Of course, there will be passages that you'll come across, like some of the narratives in the Old Testament that seems as dry as a stale loaf of bread. What you can do then is you can say, God, would you please give me one crumb that at least nourishes me for today? And God will answer that and you will see something that is important for you and you're drawn closer to God. And why wouldn't that happen? Because Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. And so we're able to personalise that and it becomes uh, true in our relationship with God. So to recap, we need to slow down. We need to develop times of silence and of solitude Cultivate the habit of listening to people and for God and meditate on his word. Picture it, pronounce it, paraphrase it, personalise it, pray it. You'll soon become adept. And in doing, you're moving from a two-dimensional kind of knowing to a five-dimensional kind of knowing, which is the whole aim of, uh, of a relationship with God. And Jesus and the chair is a place to do it, which is really good. From knowing about God to actually knowing him in a deeper, more personal way. So, as I conclude this morning, I firstly, I invite you to develop a slower life and build in times of silence and solitude, listening to and for God. You'll find yourself drawn closer to God And then when you meditate on his word, a fuller dimension of his love for you is revealed. So, slow. Secondly, I encourage you to share your experiences with each other in your connect groups or when you meet up for coffee. And there will be lots of rich conversations that will come from those insights that you have found. And this is what part of what Together in Community means. And in closing, my prayer is that each of us as we journey together in this fragile and very uncertain world might really get to know personally the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And I'd like to pray for you now with a passage from Paul's letter to the Philippians Church. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Meditate on these things. As for the things that you have learned and received and heard and noticed in me, Jesus and the Apostle Paul, do them. And the God of peace will be with you. Amen.